Hi, I'm Lisa of Two Sober Chicks, part of the dynamic duo known as Julie and Lisa. And this is our speaker series podcast. Thanks to Stacy for finding us another gem of a speaker. Please welcome Janet from Kentucky. Thank you, Stacy. My name is Janet Corsetti. I am an alcoholic. It's good to be here. And Stacy has already lied. No, I'm not young <laughs> for sure. And I, I don't know what kind of powerhouse I am, but I am a grateful, grateful, grateful member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I will say that. Absolutely. So uh, Stacy and I go way back. Thank you for asking me to speak. I appreciate it. Um, way back. I mean, I, I don't know, Stacy, how many years? 30, where are we? 30 something. I can't keep track of years, but um, yes. So I've watched Stacy just grow up in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a beautiful thing. When I read that line first out of the book, out of working with others, oh, to work with others, you'll be so happy seeing the light come on to see them, you know, all that. I'm like, why would I be happy for that? I mean, if it wasn't me, why would I be happy? You know, what's what's in it for me? And and really it is, I mean, I, I think as the years go by, what I've seen is how true the book is, you know, and um, <clears throat> it is the greatest joy of my life, working with other alcoholics. It really has brought me the most joy and has helped me learn most about myself. And um, the latest thing I'm seeing about that is uh, sometimes when people call, I end up kind of saying the same thing to them. You know, as I and I thought, well, what is that? And it's like, oh, I'm supposed to hear what I'm saying to them. You know, and and you know, God knows I need like. you know slammed in my head for that uh anyway start at the beginning a little bit I um I was an abnormal I don't know how to say I used to say I was born alcoholic I I don't really I I was insecure I was fearful I was paranoid uh and just maladjusted really to life I I just don't and still today I don't have, I have abnormal reactions to life. And what I will do with a big thing is, eh, it's nothing. Eh, why? You know, minimize it. And what I will do with the little thing is make it really big. Um, so, I, you know, I was doing, you know, what we do, well, what I do in the morning, this morning, and, uh, you know, doing the questions of, you know, Upon awakening, we, you know, blah, blah, blah. Before we begin, we ask that our thinking be divorced from self-pity, dishonest or self-seeking motives. And I'm thinking like, add fear to that. That's all I got, people. Self-pity, self-seeking, dishonest and fearful. You know what I mean? It's like that, that's it in a nutshell. That really describes me, but uh, I'll go, you know, just a little of my childhood. I, um, I was never okay. I just never felt okay. I never felt okay in my family. I never felt part of my family. 
uh, I always felt very separate and unconnected. And I know today that that separateness, the isolation, all of that is what feeds my illness. If I do that today, and I can separate myself and isolate myself by going to all the meetings I go to, which is, yeah, I, I go to nine a week. Um, you know, it's, am I connecting with another human being? That's, that's the ticket. Am I actually connecting soul to soul with another human being? Then I'm not isolating. Um, so I, uh, I just, uh, I don't know. I, I had a lot of pain in my life. Most of it self-imposed. I wanted people to be different. I didn't accept people the way they are. It has taken me years to even start doing that. Like not have all these great expectations like, oh, this is how it's going to be. And this is how you should be. And all of that. Um, just, I'm, I don't know if it's because I'm getting older. <laughs> I'm just too tired. Uh, that probably has something to do with it, but just there's uh, more of an acceptance that I have today than I've ever had before. And just kind of rolling with the punches. So, you know, I am aging, uh, not gracefully, but I'm trying to. And, um, you know, so it's like a process of surrendering. That's what I found out. Like, you know, something happens or something, I'm more limited in some way, let's say, or our lives. I'm married to somebody who's in Alcoholics Anonymous as well. So between the two of us, you know, we're, you know, doing the old, older people stuff and uh, just like, um surrendering to what is you know what I mean like fight 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 no this is not right I don't want to wah wah you know that and then just like okay this is how it is you know what I mean so you're gonna go kicking and screaming it's not gonna change anything it's just gonna make the moment miserable and those periods of surrender of accepting what is are getting really shorter and shorter yeah, so that's that. That's really very good news. Um, so, uh, you know, I started drinking. Okay, the very first time I drank, I skipped school. And we went over a friend's house apartment. She And she lived on the second floor. And um, I had never skipped school in my life. I was very uh, f rule follower, obedient, afraid not to be, you know, toe the line. But I skipped school uh, and got drunk, got absolutely drunk. And I took off my shirt and I kind of hung out the second story window and it was a very public area. It was a big part. It was lunchtime. You know what I mean? It was like, that's how I started. Like, so when people say, oh, I crossed the line, it's like, no, I didn't cross any line. I mean, I started out full blown, making a fool of myself, getting drunk, uh, you know, just out of control. And that's how I wanted to be. I wanted, I never drank if I thought I could only have a few. It, I, I mean, why bother? 
That's how I looked at it. I also was not a person who went to a bar and said, oh, I'm only going to have two. And I, well, and you know what I mean? It's like, no. I mean, I always wanted to get oblivion. That was my goal. And um, I don't know. I didn't go to bars anyway because people were there and I, I don't do people well. <laughs> or I didn't do people well. I was always so afraid. And uh, plus, I don't know how people afford it. Somebody told me what a beer cost and a something, something. I'm like, how in the world could you even think of getting drunk when it costs that much? It's like, yikes. So I started drinking weekends, high school, you know, uh, down by the beach. I grew up on the East Coast uh, in Massachusetts. Uh, so by the beach and and the drive-ins. I love drive-ins. Drive-ins are the greatest. Uh, if you're not my age, you probably have never experienced them, but they were so great. It was like a one-stop, you get everything. You know what I mean? You get absolutely everything. You get uh, booze, you get you know food, you get sex. And you might even watch the movie, too. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, this is it. It was wonderful. And uh, they should bring those back. I swear they would make a lot of money. It's just the greatest thing. But uh, so drinking weekends and it just set me free because I was a nervous, anxious, depressed person. You know, I just was. I was just all of those things self-centered all of it was self-centered and I think all that paranoia I felt that's self-centered too it's I always thought people were thinking about me I thought stuffed animals were staring at me you know what I mean it was all like uh yeah I'm not the poster child for mental health we'll just put it that way so I drank weekends and uh I Always drank to get drunk, always, always. And then I went away to college. And that's when I started doing all the other stuff that was avail available to me in the 60s, the late 60s. And um, when I went away to school and was not under, you know, my parents and, you know, all their, you know, expectations and guidance and all that. I just went wild. I mean, I just went off the hook right away. I was totally out of control. I would be drinking every time I got a chance to, always drinking to get drunk. And that's when my, my drinking uh, turned into, well, first I was a fan of Janis Joplin. So it was Southern Comfort. You know, so I had to drink the Southern, you know what I mean? I've changed whatever. So, yeah, those were the Southern comfort days. And, you know, just going out at night and getting drunk and whatever. I mean, it's amazing. I didn't, you know, something really bad didn't happen to me. I mean, my alcoholism happened to me. <laughs> that was really bad. It was really bad. Um but I would have qualified for Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, when I was 17 years old. Uh, but I, you know, dragged it out until I was 32. 
And the only reason I even got to Alcoholics Anonymous was because somebody said, I called them. And this is what I said to her. I said, I can't stop smoking pot. And she said, oh, well, let's go to an AA meeting. I'm like, why would you say that? What's that got to do with anything? So I did not come to Alcoholics Anonymous. I was brought there. And it's a good thing because... I am a very delusional person and I don't, I don't, I couldn't see the truth from the false. You know, I, I just didn't know. I mean, I could, would have told you I had lots of problems. It's not that I thought I didn't have a problem, but certainly alcohol was not one of them in my mind. I, I don't think I ever would have come to that. I don't know. Maybe I would have, if I had continued to drink, but uh, I doubt it because I, I can lie to myself very easily and not even know I'm lying. <clears throat> so I got involved in all the whatever, whatever. And then, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I started writing to a man who was fighting in the Vietnam War. Now, I was protesting it. I was going down to Mars, you know. He was fighting it, you know, it was a match made, whatever. But I started writing to him. He started writing to me and we fell in love. Never met, never met, never saw him, never talked to him. Just these letters fell madly in love, which I was able to do. I'm a very fast follower and lover. I can do it very easily. And um, so... <clears throat> He got home and, um, you know, we had plans. He was supposed to go come to Massachusetts and we were going to live happily ever after. But he didn't want to, you know, after the war, he wanted to come home and his home was in Ohio. And I just, um, so I'm like, oh, okay, you're not going to come to me. <laughs> I'm going to go to you. And, and I moved out here and... Um, and we got married. And I remember just thinking like, this was it. This was it. It was like the trifecta. I was, first of all, <clears throat> first of all, somebody loved me. And that's what I thought my problem was. Nobody loves me. So if somebody loved me, that would mean I was okay. And I moved out here and nobody knew me. So I was just going to start all over again. I wasn't going to be nervous and anxious and depressed. And why well, I didn't, I never used the word self-centered then. I, I never heard of it. Um, but, you know, afraid, so afraid, so mousy, so in the corner, so no personality, whatever. I was going to be totally different. You know, I was going to be this, you know, vivacious, wonderful, fun, warm person, you know, who had friends and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> so that appealed to me. And then I got my, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, my first adult job, um, and I thought, okay, now I'm an adult, you know, I'm not in school anymore. So those, that was just my wild college days. You know what I mean? Now I'm married. I'm, you know, 
I got a job as a teacher. So, okay, everything's, this is how it's going to be. And I thought, oh, that's, I just really thought it was it. You know, I really thought that was the combination. All three together was just wonderful. Until it wasn't, which it was a short time afterwards where it was like, no, even getting married, marriage and love do not fix alcohol, my alcoholism, you know, a nice new job, you know, professional, that doesn't fix all, you know, starting all over again in a new place. No, that didn't fix my alcoholism. Uh, and you know, before long, then I was blaming him. So when, when I lived with my family, I blamed my family. When I lived with him, I blamed him and my job. You know, it was always like, if you were different, I'd be okay. And I say those words now, and I think that's insane to even think that way. But that is exactly how I thought. And, um, you know, the poor guy, really, he... Uh, we were together for 15 years and um, 13 of them, my being an alco active alcoholic, two in sobriety. <clears throat> and um, he's, he's a good man. He's a very good man. And I put him through hell because of my alcoholism, you know? Um, so, um, so, you know, misery. So it's an, I don't have any exciting stories of car crashes and divorces and losing houses that all came in sobriety for me. <laughs> it did not happen when I was drinking. And um, I don't know. So I was brought to Alcoholics Anonymous by my sponsor. I've had the same sponsor for 40 years. Um, you know, we've just grown up together, really, um, gone through everything together, fat and thin and rich and poor and homeless and not homeless and divorced and married and kids and no kids and the whole, the whole kind of thing. <clears throat> so she brought me to Alcoholics Anonymous <clears throat> and I didn't think I was an alcoholic uh, because I had a definition of my in my mind of what alcoholism was. Uh, and that was uh, old, male, no home, no job, and a brown paper bag with the bottle in. And I'm like, oh no, that's not me. I'm young. I'm a woman. I'm a, you know, got a job. I got, a, you know, all that. And, um, I just, I, I just didn't believe I was an alcoholic, but I was so desperate that even though I didn't believe I was an alcoholic, you know, I got a list of 10 things to do for my sponsor. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do these 10 things, even though some of them were quite drastic as far as I was concerned. One was some of those steps. I mean, really, that come on, that's a lot to ask of somebody. And uh, the other one was praying. Oh, ooh, ah, no, not for me. And, you know, the other one was the fifth step. The fourth step didn't bother me, but the fifth step where you have to tell somebody 
you know, your resentments and your sex behavior and all your fears and be vulnerable. Oh, no, that that didn't sound like a good idea at all. But I was so miserable and so depressed and so lonely and so hopeless, really, really. That's that's it. And I didn't realize I was hopeless until I realized, oh, hopeless means you didn't have any hope. And oh, my God, I didn't have a, an ounce of hope. <clears throat> so I did those things. I did. I read the book. I went to the meetings. I did the prayers and worked the steps. I wrote a gratitude list, you know, blah, blah, you know, the routine or whatever, you know, whatever your sponsor is saying she does and passing it on. <clears throat> but I thought this is never going to work because number one, I'm not alcoholic, you know, and number two, um, nothing has ever worked for me. I mean, it is not for lack of effort. You know, I tried everything. I read everything. I you know, joined everything. I, you know, whatever. It's like, oh, I, you know, I did the transcendental meditation, but they told you don't drink and don't do any drugs. Well, I couldn't not do that. So it didn't work for me. I, I probably would work for me very well right now, but uh, just all the things we try, whatever it is, try like what's going to make me better and nothing ever worked. Counseling didn't work. <clears throat> None of it worked. Getting another degree that didn't work. You know what I mean? All the stuff like, oh, if I have this, then I'll be okay. No, I'm not okay. I'm not okay until I get to Alcoholics Anonymous. That's the only place I have ever felt okay. And I'm not okay until there, because when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, you told me it's an inside job, Janet. It doesn't make any difference where you live. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have a something. I don't know what I have. Uh, it doesn't make any difference where you live or what job you're doing or how much whatever or, you know, the papers, or, you know, all that. It's like none of that makes one bit of difference. The only bit of difference is what work are you doing on the inside, which is what the 12 steps provide, because that's where the change has to happen. And if it doesn't happen in the inside, you can change the my opinion which i shouldn't be giving here but uh what the hell uh you know not, it's not going to change you know what i mean you can change the jobs or change the relationships but if you don't change inside it's all going to be the same thing there's always going to be the boss who doesn't treat you right there's always going to be this uh the partner who you know does the you know what i mean it's just the names change the, the faces change but it's all the same unless I change and uh, <clears throat> and get transformed by the steps, which is what they do, you know. Um, thank God. Yeah. Uh, so what happened is, you know, I did all the things begrudgingly thinking they would never work. Plus, I'm a loser. There's something wrong with me. I, you know, I always thought there's something wrong with me. There's something so wrong with me that it can't be fixed. 
and uh, I carry, and I was like a loser. You know what I mean? I was like a failure at everything. So I didn't come into AA thinking, oh boy, yay, let's, you know, it's like, no, like, oh my God, it's not going to work for me. But as time went by and I did do what was asked of me to do because I was desperate, uh, I I started changing very, very slowly. I mean, my progress has been of the very slow educational variety for sure. <clears throat> then I found that, you know, just little things, you know, I couldn't even look people in the eye until after I was a year sober. And I had worked all the steps way before that. I just couldn't, it was too scary. I always thought if you looked me in the eye, you'd see what kind of person I really was. And that was horrible and awful and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. Um, so um, that self-loathing that I have as an alcoholic, and I've seen other people have, that is really deep-rooted. And I think uh, working with a lot of alcoholics helps that, because I don't judge you for what you do in your alcoholism. Uh, you know, I think it's alcoholism. That's what happens. You know, this is the disease. It, you know, does this, this, and this. Um, so I think, again, that's a, like, if you say it enough to somebody else, you know, it takes, and it takes a while for me to actually hear what I'm saying for myself, you know, for me not to judge myself differently than I, you know, think about you. So, uh, I got divorced to husband number one. And uh, that's when I got homeless. <laughs> that, that was the homeless part in sobriety. And actually my grand sponsor took me into her home, thankfully. And, uh, you know, then there was the car crash, which was an accident. And then what else? Oh, the divorce, the homelessness and the car crash. Yeah, all, all in sobriety. And, um, but it's been a, it's been a beautiful journey and throughout everything, the good, the bad, the ugly that his life has brought, you know, as life brings all different experiences and situations, Alcoholics Anonymous has just been there. It's like, and it's so amazing to watch. It's like, oh, something happens and it's like, whoosh, like this. I can't even describe it. I mean, you you have to experience it. And I'm, hopefully most of you have, if not all of you, just like the, what can we do? This, you know what I mean? Like just a swarm of, like a swarm of worker bees coming and saying, let me do this, let me do this. Let me do that. What can I do for you? You know? We have everything, every single thing we need in Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, no matter how much I read uh, about anything, it always says the same basic thing, you know, happiness or contentment or whatever. It's like be in a community 
And we have such a beautiful community. What a tribe we have. I mean, really just amazing. You know, and it says, you know, you need to be something bigger than have something that you're, that you're part of that's bigger than yourself. And don't we like this worldwide movement of, you know, spiritual growth, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, connection with other people. I mean, we have that. My God, what connections we have. People are so honest and open and, you know, all of that. And here, they people show up. And um, I don't know. We really have it all here. It's It's amazing. So... I think my 45 minutes are up and my throat is kind of <laughs> really giving way here. So I'm going to end just by saying um, it's really all just about love. I mean, they say love and service, but service is love, really. It's just like loving, loving other people and seeing the good in them and uh being a part of something that is really just magnificent, you know, um, and going to where we were talking about world conferences before the meeting started, like that's where I saw like, oh my goodness, people from all these different countries coming. Like, it's not just like Northern Kentucky, Janet, you know what I mean? Or Kentucky or Ohio, Midwest. It's like, not even just the United States, like AA is truly like all over the world, transforming lives. And uh, you talk about a beautiful thing to be a part of. I mean, what more could we ask for, you know? So anyway, thank you. It's been nice to spend some time with you this morning. And that's it for me. Oh, oh. Janet, thanks so much for joining us and sharing your experience, strength, and hope as part of our speaker series edition. And this has been another episode of Two Sober Chicks. I'm Lisa. Have a great 24.